There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello! Hello! I need to just quickly address them, just very quickly. Don't worry, I'm not going to uh, not going to bring anything up too uncomfortable. Although it was a bit uncomfortable for me. Just before we started okay. recording, I had my wife Sarah pop up into the attic and have a look into the webcam because usually in non-lockdown times, you come over here on a Monday or a Tuesday night, and we all sit and have a cup of tea if she's home, and it's a somewhat sociable occasion. And I thought the two of you would be really pleased to see each other. And I felt the dynamic was a, a little little uncomfortable. Well, I I was I was excited and happy, but I felt that she she wasn't mentally prepared for it. And I and I get that. Like she felt like, oh I wasn't I didn't think I'd have to sort of be sociable and I just came up here to get like pick up a cup that was dirty. I wasn't I know that feeling of being like, oh, I'm not prepared for this. And I think that's how she felt. She didn't, she, I think, don't think she wanted to look into the webcam. Maybe she hadn't brushed her hair. I don't know. There was something going mm, on there. Mm. I got it. I got it. I wasn't offended. I was worried that there's this new element to your friendship slash relationship of rivalry. R- why would there be rivalry? Do you seriously not know or do you just not want to talk about it? I don't know. What? Seriously. I don't know what you're talking about. Like uh, there was something was alluded to when she was up here. Okay. And you said, I'll tell you later. I don't know what it is. Okay, okay, okay. We, me and her, yeah. are, it's only very low key, but we're doing a little podcasting. You've gone all quiet. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Are you all right? I've got. I have enough to put up with with Ed Miliband, mm. who it seems you've got a photo behind you, like a big cutout photo of his face, which is rubbing <laughs> That's it true. in. That was for. I'm, I'm like, going to take this cutout off now, and just to to show you, Annabelle, he's not important to me. I'm going to rip up his face. Look, <laughs> there it goes. I'm ripping up Ed's. It face. was right by your face. Yeah, I know. I know. And now you're telling me. No, that was that was for a. You're promo cheating video. on me a second time. I am. It's it's only for the next uh, I think we'll next ten weeks or something. Ten week, ten weeks of hell for me. <laughs> Thanks. It's just a fling. If you love someone, Annabelle, you should set them free. 
No, okay. I'm going to keep you captive. <laughs> no, honestly, you just it admitted amazing, that you just it, admitted there implicitly yeah. that you love me. <laughs> Your face right now. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Uh, yeah, whatever. I don't mean like Ross and Rachel love. I mean you. No, you, I just I think that word would never come out of your mouth, really. So it's, it's in a, in a, in the context podcast of a friendship. Love. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's his podcast then? Tell me. You know, I'm doing this Beatles show on a Sunday morning on the radio. Beetlejuice. Yes, I thought it would be fun to do a little spin-off podcast where because the the show is a music show with a bit of Beatles stuff thrown in and I thought for the people who enjoy it and want a bit more want to dig a bit deeper I could do a podcast where Sarah comes upstairs uh, having listened to the show and then she asks me questions about things I've either talked about or played because I'm a Beatles nut obsessive Mm. and if I did a podcast Mm. like that the only people who would listen to it would be people like me who were weirdly into the Beatles and no tiny, tiny details. That would be terrifying to other people. Whereas Sarah just kind of likes them if they come on the radio and, and that's as far as it goes. But she has to live with me with all this craziness. So we're doing that as a podcast and answering some listener questions and also with this longer interview bit that's in the radio show. So... That is on its second episode. I presumed that you'd saw me tweeting about it and it had got your back up. Or Sarah knows that our on-microphone relationship, mine and hers, isn't as good, because it isn't, as mine and yours. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't know about Mm. it. I mean... You could have broken it to me outside of this podcast, like giving me time to adjust... I just thought you would have sounds pretty. It's called Beetlejuice Extra Squeeze. Extra squeeze. <laughs> oh, of course it is. That's great. Yeah. That's very good. Um, you know, it's my birthday next month. Mm-hmm. Would you consider you and her recording a version of the song for the musical Chess? I know him so well. <laughs> Where you're the two women in his life. <laughs> you spoiled the surprise we've been planning it for months <laughs> hey um speaking of birthdays how was your birthday yes it was very nice thank you it was when was it it was last friday yeah it was nice thank you very much for asking and how was mother's day mother's day fine it was a bit close to my birthday so i think um, my immediate family were bored of me by Mother's Day. So I didn't, I wasn't necessarily waited on hand and foot, but... Um, what does that mean? Yeah, so I mean, I think you got to come. When you say waited on hand and foot, what does that mm. involve? If somebody's waiting on you... I want to... Is that a foot rub and then what are they doing to your hand? I don't Or are they bringing you stuff in their hands? No, it's an expression. I know, but I've never understood the expression. I've never understood the expression. What I mean by it is, so if you're being weighted on hand and foot, whose hand and whose foot? Is it you Mm. receiving the attention that's being lavished on you? Or is it the person who's doing the waiting? So, Which I understand more because if you're the waiter... You are walking to the person and maybe you're carrying something. Mm. But if you're being weighted on hand and foot, what exactly is happening to your hands and your feet or one of your hands and one of your feet? No, no. I'm guessing it just means people are running backwards and forwards bringing you things. Okay. The hands and the feet are very busy. Feet are doing the running, hands are doing the bringing. Very, very busy. Okay. 
good, hands good. are doing the passing of delicacies. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wanted delicacies. <laughs> mm. Um. Two things on Mother's Day. Oh, j- just one I do have sympathy for uh, before I get onto the main two. So let's call this point one, uh, and then we'll, the other two can be A and B. How's that? Okay. I've been hoist by my own verbal petard there by introducing a one in before I got into my first point. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that my mum, her birthday's two days after yours, and she's lived with this all my life. So if you ever need any advice... Right. I think it'd be quite strange <laughs> if you to call to her. her. Can you imagine <laughs> if you just call my mum? Who I think you've always liked each other when when you've met over the years, but it's been yeah, some some years since you've seen her. I think, and it's a weird topic as well. Like it's not something you have to cope no. with. It's just like a slight downside. Mm-hmm. It's like having a birthday very close to Christmas, but not as bad. Yes, yes, very much so. All right, these two points then. A. Or maybe it's a little one in the form of a, a lowercase i. Let, let's not get bogged down in that. Okay. Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Robbed of my ability to throw money. You're very. You're a very imaginative gift giver. You're great on birthdays, occasions. I I have the illusion of being the same, but when I'm robbed of the ability to throw money at the problem, I'm actually not very good and. Um, as evidenced by the fact that I sent you flowers for your birthday. Oh, that's a love. It's always a lovely gift. Well, that's what I figured. But I also like to give something more personal and go around the shops and have a think and, and, or some kind of experience or whatever. And it just hasn't been possible this year. So I just sent you some flowers. And, And similarly, that's what I did with Sarah on Mother's Day. Do you know what I really, really hate? And it happens to me maybe one in three times that I send her flowers. She has either she's either gone to the shops or gone somewhere, and then the flowers arrive when I'm home. I take and I take delivery of the flowers. Oh, it's not the same, is it? No. Otherwise, I could have just gone to the shops and got some shower, uh, got some flowers. It's the moment of yes, the flowers turning yes. up at the door. And there's no way. Yeah, yeah. And of, who's that at the door? And, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. way of ensuring it. And it's so frustrating. That's thing number mm. one, uh, let, uh, lowercase i. And now two little lowercase i's. For Mother's Day, we got <laughs> Eugene to let Sarah pick a film that we could all watch for family cinema. Mm-hmm. Now... As I mentioned on last week's episode, it went poorly the previous week when she chose <laughs> 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from 1954. But <laughs> she learned from her mistake, I think. And we ended up settling on Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Oh, nice, nice. Which, the original version. Of course, the original version. Just checking. But, but Just wouldn't, checking. wouldn't it be? I I'm not interested in seeing what Johnny Depp's got up his sleeve for Willy Wonka, especially not okay. anymore. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's, it's, such, it's such a classic. E- even you, you don't like a rewatch, but I bet you would rewatch that with Rudy at some point. I'm sure. I have two things to say about it. A and B. <laughs> a... I realised as I was watching it that 
Oh, like I, I, it's, it's not that I realised it was that actually that I got a niggling doubt as I was watching it. I thought, I'm looking at all these people. I'm not talking about the children here, and I'm thinking, I am older, I think, than pretty much anybody I can see on screen. So I then started googling. I'm definitely older than Gene Wilder, but he was a, a youngish man in his thirties in that. So that was unsurprising to me. What was surprising to me that I'm older than Roy Kinnear. In fact, I'm older than all the parents of the children on the tour, apart from Augustus Gloop's mum and Grandpa Joe, who's there in his um, in a guardian <laughs> capacity because Charlie Bucket's father right. is absent. So that was quite disturbing mm. to me to find out that I am older than Roy Kinnear was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't. I th- what, mm. what I think is going on a little bit here is this is a film that you're fond of from your childhood. It's been a long time since you've seen it and you're finding it difficult to know who I'm talking about. Am I right? No, I remember Roy Kinnear in it very well. I remember thinking he seemed very much uh, an older grown-up. <laughs> yeah, but I think Roy Kinnear is one of those people who, um, R.I.P., who... <laughs> I'll just tell you something. I've, I've, is, is he R.I.P.? Oh, yeah, died in the, the late 80s, I think. Oh, I didn't know. And his son, Rory Kinnear. I've got a story, but it's hmm. almost too weird to say without context. Uh, or or uh, not, not that it's too weird to say without context. But the, the work that needs to be done to provide the context for the story is so peculiar, I'm not sure the payoff is enough. But shall I try? Right. Uh, this is this is one go of these on tangents. This is I'm about to go off on at least one long tangent. I will say that when I expressed worry about how often I've been doing this on last week's podcast, a lot of people got in touch and said, "No, keep doing it." And I think a reason given was people use this podcast to help fall asleep, and it helps with that. So I really apologise for. <laughs> we're about to go on some serious detours. Some years ago. We, I think you went, Annabelle, I went, Sarah went, quite a lot of friends of ours went to, um, as unlikely as this sounds for you and I as drifters, a site-specific interactive theatre production called You, Me, Bum Bum Train. Right, yeah. Do you want to, so it's just not me droning on, do you want to just explain to people what that was? Can you remember? Yeah, of course. It's one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And you go through a series of rooms and each room puts you in the middle of an immersive event. So, for example, I went from conducting a full orchestra, and I mean a full orchestra, to suddenly being inside an ice cream van and making someone a 99, to commenting on a snooker match, to leading an aerobics class. Like, it was insane and brilliant. It is brilliant. It's like... You are jumping from from body to body. It's like you're possessing people. Yeah, I thought my head was going to explode. Yeah. It felt so crazy. And I hate anything where you have to pretend to interact with people acting. It's it, it, I'm it's it's almost the most uncomfortable situation I can think of. But I really loved it, and I think part of what was so great about it was you just went through one at a time. So you weren't in front of the rest of the audience. Basically, everybody's held in a Mm. waiting room. Then one person starts. 
then they stagger it by a couple of minutes. Another person starts. So when you go into a room, the person who went before you is already in the next room, and the person yeah who's after you is in another room. Does that make, that makes sense? Yeah. And as Annabelle says, it's lots- yeah. And you're right in that it makes a massive difference because it is just you, and then you're and then you're amongst these actors who have been doing it a million times that day. So you don't feel, even though you are the centre of attention, you don't feel like you are. And I remember going from being inside of somebody's fridge to then maybe being Oof. in something like a, ho- uh, uh, um, a theatre, surgery theatre in a hospital, to then you go through some curtains and somebody's got a headset and a clipboard and they're walking you through a TV studio and you are the host of a chat show. And then you get to walk onto the set of a chat show. There's somebody there with cue cards. Um, you know, there's a crew, there's a little pretend audience and the chat show is there and there's an announcer who says, and now it's time for, you know, the Tonight Show with Jeff Lloyd or whatever they say. And then you're there and the lights are on and you're in front of the cameras. And yeah, I loved it because it was uh, it's like this little daydream. I think I'd be terrible at hosting a chat show, but nonetheless, it's a daydream I've had since I was a teenager. And you're reading off the cue cards. And the cue card said, and now it's time to welcome my first guest. Will you please welcome actor Rory Kinnear? And then out walks this guy and you sit down and you've got to interview him. So what's going on in my head at the time is this, is Rory Kinnear. Oh, I think Roy Kinnear had a son, Rory Kinnear, who who is now an actor. And I will point out if you're thinking, yeah, of course he is. We know the name. He was in Black Mirror and all sorts of other stuff. It was before his career blew up in the way that it has now. Maybe it was just before the Black Mirror. So what I was unclear of as I was rattling through all this in my brain and trying to behave like I was hosting a talk show was, is the man I'm looking at Rory Kinnear or is it part of the whole thing and they've just chosen the name of an actor that you may or may not know, and you wouldn't necessarily know what he looks like, so that it's believable. <laughs> In that, if you said it was Jack Nicholson and somebody came, it'd break the illusion. So I didn't know if I was talking to Rory Kinnear or not, I'd, or a man pretending to be Rory Kinnear. And then I sat and interviewed him, and I think brought up just how fondly I remembered Roy Kinnear from pretty much every comedy <laughs> show when I was a kid. I, I genuinely feel that, obviously, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but so many sitcoms. Uh, he's in The Beatles' Help. He was in Cannon and Ball, Ball's film, Boys in Blue. I mean, he was just in everything, the Dick Emery show when we were kids. So I'm saying all this at the same time as not really understanding that I am asking a stranger straight off the bat about his dad who is no longer with us. And and then I get home and of course the first thing I do is Google him and it was Rory Kinnear. Mm. So, oh wow, yeah. amazing. Yeah, so what I then found out, because the thing about this UB Bum Bum train is you weren't allowed to talk about what it was at the time because they didn't want to ruin the surprise. So there were no newspaper reviews which said you'll mm. get to be the talk, a talk show host. It was all kept secret, so you couldn't find out about it. But then later, I remember reading that they had celebrity guests in most nights. Mm. Oh, like wow. Really famous 
people and then you know great people who are less well known and he must have been the one doing the night that that I was on or doing you know some of the people on the night that I was in so that's the f- can you remember any any of the other ones that were interviewed I, th- I, I, I think Jonathan Ross was one of them who's if you're not oh! in the UK is this cool <laughs> yeah he's about as famous a talk show host as you can be these days he's been slightly eclipsed by yeah. Graham Norton since he's moved to ITV but yeah as big a household name you can be in this country I think and how weird it must be to be thrust into pretending to be hosting a talk show and then your first guest being at the time the most famous talk show host in the country no question and also wow I think because of my weird job that would be less phasing to me than it would be. It's less phasing to me the possibility that the man I was talking to might be Roy, Rory Kinnear. But I think for people who aren't accustomed to interviewing famous people the whole time, that must have just been, made your head explode. Yeah, yeah. Like your brain just start to really hurt. Yeah. And, wow. And I do understand that talking about on this podcast to drifters, you're thinking, oh, it just sounds like hell. And yet it wasn't. Uh, and I am the yeah, sort of person yeah. who would generally find an immersive theatre thing to be terrible. There was something really special about it. They do it so well. Yeah, yeah. they really do. So that was... Oh, God, you see, I've gone on such a detour talking about that. As I said, there was a lot of heavy lifting that needed to be done just to explain the context of You, Me, Bum Bum Train. I'm trying to think what else I was going to say about Roy Kinnear. He was in The Beatles' help. Why did I even bring him up in the first place? Can you remember? Oh, we uh, watched, we watched Willy Wonka. And how they yeah, were yeah, older yeah. than you. And, younger than you. Yeah, so so he was he was younger than... Oh, no, that was the other thing I was going to mention. So today I've been thinking about Roy Kinnear a lot because I've been thinking, oh, well, I mentioned him on a drift today. And admittedly, I, I didn't envisage at any point that I'd be talking about Roy Kinnear for anything like this long. But I Googled him for some reason or other. And one of the first things that came up was one of those sites that comes up if you Google any famous person's name. And typically they say, Roy Kinnear, net worth. Do you know the ones I mean? Yeah. So if you were to Google Cheryl Cole, one of the first suggestions that came up, or Beyonce or whatever, would be net worth. And these aren't people who mm. have access to celebrities' accounts and tax records. These are people, you know, these are websites which get you to click on them by making a wildly inaccurate guess as to what a famous person has in the bank based on how many Google hits they are. Although, I don't know, can I tell this story well? Didn't stop me with the Roy Kinnear one, did it? <laughs> um, I have a friend who is somewhat famous and they Googled themselves, saw one of these net worth sites come up, clicked on it and the amount of money was pretty similar to the amount of money that they had in the bank. And they are now, and now they are convinced that these things are real. Even though I've explained on any number oh, of wow. occasions, it's just like a stopped clock being right. That's not any indication of anything. They're wildly inaccurate. <laughs> um, so anyway, it wasn't one of those, but it was one of the very similar ones that comes up when you Google a celebrity. And it was, who is Roy Kinnear dating? Roy Kinnear, girlfriend, wife. 
And that just really tickled me because, you know, he, he, he has been RIP since the late 80s. I think he right, fell off right. a horse. No. I think so. I, I, you see, I didn't even get – I was so thrown by the fact that I found a website which told me who he was going to be dating despite the fact that he's been dead for you know, 30 years or whatever it's been, 25 years. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't even then click on his Wikipedia page. But in my memory, he fell off a horse. That's how he died. He was sort of – it was a bit like Christopher Reeve, but – you know, I, I, I'm going to have to Google this now because I'm going to sound really silly if I just state the fact that Roy Kinnear died by falling off a horse. And then... Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. This is, this is going to be a big reveal, cause of death for Roy Kinnear. Okay, I'm on it. You ready? Here we go. On the yeah. 19th of September 1988, Kinnear fell from a horse during the making of The Return of the Musketeers in Spain. And sustained a no. broken... Yes, 54 years old. I mean, that's mind-blowing to me, that he looked as old as he did for our entire childhood, and yet he was only 54 when he died. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I know, it is. It is awful, it's awful. And, you know, I think there's been some tragedy in that family if you start looking into it. But anyway, I was then thinking about this website that says, who is Roy Kinnear dating now? Mm. And it raises an interesting question. If there's an afterlife, should Roy Kinnear be waiting for his wife, Carmel Cryan, who's an actor who's been in EastEnders, should he just be waiting for her patiently? Or should he be... Mm. Are they on a break? Are they, you know, should he be, I don't know, having a bit of a fling with Catherine of Aragon or Rosa Parks or someone? Well, I know you're a big believer in the afterlife. <laughs> so what do you think? <laughs> Can I even believe we're having this conversation? Uh, and, and bear in mind, this is the stuff that went through my head earlier and I thought, I'm not going to say that on the podcast. So I'm just going to try and stick to the Willy Wonka stuff, <laughs> which I'm not even sure is that interesting in itself. <laughs> um, do you remember Willy Wonka hired a creepy guy to pretend to be his rival and bribe the kids with the golden tickets? Yes. I'm older than the yes, creepy yes. guy, even older than the creepy guy. 60s? Mm, the, only, the only adults in that film, in the, in the chocolate factory, older than I am, Augustus Gloop's mum and Grandpa Joe. And actually, as I was digging into it, one of the Umpa Lumpas, but, and this is not great, says a lot about the times, Mm. None of those umpalumpas had named roles. They were just the umpalumpas. No, mm, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, mm. that whole umpalumpa setup is isn't great with hindsight. But um, oh mm. god, is it worth me even saying what I was going to say in the first place, or has this just spiraled so far out of control that I should just bail at this point? Only you can answer that. That suggests to me that you think I should bail. But no, because I, I don't know what you were going to say, so I can't answer that. Only you can. It's in no way a payoff. This is the thing. What I'm not about to do is it an end? <laughs> well, it is an end of sorts. I had planned to talk. Well, then do it. I'd planned the things I'd scribbled down were to talk about buying somebody flowers and them them not being there to receive them, 
and then watching Willy Wonka being mm. older than all the adults in the uh, chocolate factory and this other thing. But I think it's okay. I'm going to say it. It's it's, it's going to be anticlimactic no matter what. And we've just done. I don't even dare look at the counter, the clock that runs on the recorder to see how many minutes of meandering nonsense has just fallen out of my mouth largely on the topic of Roy Kinnear but not limited to that and some of it's been on numbering imaginary paragraphs that only exist in my mind as I'm speaking so I'm embarrassed already at how long I've gone on with myself okay (laughs) do you remember that pretty much the first thing you see in that film is a bunch of kids in a sweet shop which sells all the wonderful chocolate and candy that Willy Wonka makes and there is like an old timey um, if you think about kind of almost like a drugstore American 50s drugstore shopkeeper who sings the candy man while all these kids are enthralled does that ring a bell yeah yeah as we're watching that I say to my son because bearing in mind it's a live action film, he tends not to do well with them. What I do is I do some kind of audio commentary to keep him engaged. You know, like you get that um, extra description for people who are, um, are visually impaired that you can press on a DVD. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I yeah. do the equivalent of that, but it's to keep my son engaged with his short attention span for old fashioned right. things. And in, in amongst me keeping him engaged whilst watching an old timey shopkeeper shower children with confectionery i say i think the next time we go into five sapphires which is our local shop mr five sapphires which is like what i call the man who works there might do that for you and now he, you're really setting his hopes up a bit high there now he keeps asking when are we going to go to five sapphires Oh no! Which you could shout. I could. I could speak in a loud voice at my front door, and you would hear me in five sapphires. That's how close to my house it is. <laughs> but as previously yeah. discussed on this podcast, my interactions in there are extremely uncomfortable to begin with, and I've realised something that I rarely think. It's not entirely to do with me. If anything, Mister Five Sapphires is a more awkward man than I am. You've you've you bought things from him. You you know the. Uh, I've witnessed this, yeah. And he and I have a particularly awkward relationship. What am I going to do to make this promise to my son come true that he's going to encounter a magical singing singing shopkeeper in the local corner shop? Yeah, what what are you going to (laughs) do? Maybe I could call up the people at Yumi Bum Bum Train and see if they could stage some kind of happening. Yeah, in, in Five Sapphires. Yeah, yeah. I could yeah, hire it out. Go. You've answered your own question. Yeah, Michael Jackson used to hire out Harrods and just go private shopping in there. Maybe I could come to some kind of yeah, arrangement yeah. with Mr. Five Sapphires <laughs> and hire, hire it out. Oh, it sounds expensive. Okay. Do, Throw money at the problem. Do you want to break the bad news to me? How long have we been recording for? Well, I don't know exactly, but um, we had a little. We had some te- technical. Well, it says on my thing thirty-two minutes, but I know it's not that long. I'd say, I'd say de- definitely twenty though, maybe twenty-five. That's uh, the worst ever. This is the worst ever first section of this podcast. Hey, we just made history. All those people, all those people that emailed saying they wanted it longer. They're all like trying to do that thing where you when you try and withdraw your email, <laughs> that thing where you cancel your email and it doesn't work. It's a new feature that I'm introducing on the podcast called "Careful What You Wish For." 
<laughs> right. I'm going to zip it. And we're going to have stories from drifters with minimal input from me for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) First one is from Anon. I'm terrible for talking first and thinking later. And I think it's endearing. Just like me in the first section of this podcast. (laughs) In my private life, I get pushed forward by my friends to make small talk whenever we go anywhere. Even though inside I'm going dizzy with nerves. I'm a proud northern woman and will talk to anyone, anywhere. I like to break the tension and will usually pass the time of day with someone if I find myself in new surroundings or if someone is just standing too close to me. My story begins 10 years ago after leaving university. I'd had two children 18 months apart and I stayed at home to look after them for four years. When the youngest was nearly three, I decided I wanted to get a part-time job. I applied for one which had an on-site nursery, part-time hours and roughly in the sector I was interested in. Term time only, not too tricky, which was a bonus for someone who'd been looking after two babies slash toddlers for four years. I got the job and I thought I would soon progress into another role at the same place as I became established and my employer recognised my talent. Friends and family also said the same thing. I started the job and was pretty baffled by the fact that I didn't really have a clue as to what my duties were. I was in a busy environment and just ended up hanging around being helpful when required. The department was pretty overstaffed, so that was not often. The department was broken into two groups who seemed to be in constant competition and hated each other. I made a mental note not to get involved or become too friendly with anyone, which partially led me to my cringy mistake. I was friendly, but used having the kids as an excuse not to socialise outside work. Two weeks into my job, we had an induction with the CEO for new staff. I was pretty much the lowest of the low, so I was extremely nervous about attending. Everyone in my office said it was very boring, but you get good cakes. Morale was low, so the enthusiasm for these events was also low amongst my work colleagues, and some of it rubbed off on me. Bearing in mind I've been so looking forward to starting a new job and getting into the world of work, earning some much-needed money, I was overqualified but willing to learn new skills. I expected to be like one of the American movies like The Devil Wears Prada or the TV show Alan McBeal. I'd start at the bottom but be whisked up to senior level as soon as my greatness was recognised. On the day of my induction, my usual nerves arrived and I didn't really want to go but I dug deep and thought about the cakes. As I walked to the meet and greet venue, I clocked two people, one who I recognised, so immediately went over to her and said, are you going to the CEO meeting? Can I join you? She said yes, and we started talking. I said how I wasn't really looking forward to it, and I hoped it wouldn't be too boring, but I'd heard there would be some good cakes. I walked into the venue and sat down in the usual circle of chairs saying hello to everyone, but where were my new friends? Yes, the lady I'd been talking to was, in fact, the CEO. We had to sit in a circle, introduce ourselves and talk about the job and what duties we had to undertake. If the ground could have swallowed me up there and then, I would have been very grateful. But instead, I had to introduce myself and talk about my non-existent duties. (laughs) The CEO was clearly not happy when I said I've yet to work out what my duties were. (laughs) And needless to say, I hadn't been picked out of obscurity to rise to the top. I'm still sat in the same office as when I started 10 long years ago. (laughs) I told my 
dad what had happened and he said not to worry as I probably wouldn't see her again. But no, whenever I have to attend work social events, she is there. Apparently, we're considered a big family. I'm constantly reminded of the time I said I hope she wasn't too boring to her face Uh. and cringe finding the nearest exit. I've also tried to get other jobs over the years, but have never been successful. And now I'm waiting on either her retirement or being made redundant. It's it's terrible. It's so terrible. Painful, Mm. painful. I love a story when, when you don't realise someone's the boss and you say something indiscreet to them. Yeah, yeah. And they're always a good one. Yes. Just, just anything where you don't realise who you're talking to. Yeah. Do you remember when I when I went to... Oh, no, I can't go on, tell Go on, go on, go on. But when, so, when, when we had new bosses at the radio station and the sort of the one that we were in contact with, Clive, was showing some guests around the office and he introduced me to one of them and I said hello, shook his hand and then I immediately went to the next one, went to like say, nice to meet you, shake that hand and he's like, he wouldn't shake my hand and it turns out he was also my boss and I just didn't know. Oh, God. It's terrible. There was this it's probably quite embarrassing for him as well, for like his own staff not to recognise him. <laughs> there, there was this. There was this. I never yeah, thought no, about it. No, like I know. There was this. What you just reminded me of another time, and I and I am sick of the sound of my own voice. So I'll rattle through this. I've ever told you once. I think it was before you started. We had a boss called Henry. Do you remember him? I always predates you. Mm, I do. Yeah. It was a lovely, yeah, lovely Irish man. Um, and whenever, mm. especially back then, whenever a new boss would start the radio station, I would always get very, very nervous talking to them because I always have it in my head that a new broom would sweep clean and I was going to be axed. So that any first conversation with mm. a new boss had a lot of nervousness around that um, in those early years. So all I knew about him was he was Irish and the first time I met him was on the street just outside where we used to work. And I introduced myself and he said, oh, I'm so pleased to meet you. And I said, whereabouts in Ireland are you from? And he told me it was Cork, I think. And then, you know what I'm like, I'm then struggling for the next bit of small talk, the next big bit of conversation. And and actually back then I used to spend a bit of time holidaying in Ireland and there was a radio host. Is that Rusty drinking water next to you? Is it that loud? It's, yeah. it's on the other side of the room. I mean, it's wow, it's, Rusty, drink quietly. There's something so satisfying about hearing a, dro- a dog drink. I feel mm. refreshed hearing a dog drink. Um. <laughs> anyway, so I, at the time, I used to spend a bit of time in Ireland, and I'd be with my then girlfriend. We'd listen to Irish radio, and there was a guy who I thought was so good. He's no longer with us now. Called Jerry Ryan. So I thought, oh, I'll bring up Jerry Ryan. He, this guy is from Ireland. He's worked in Irish radio. And I, uh, I'll, I'll say what, uh, say, oh, I really um, love Jerry Ryan. Then in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to say I love him. What if this guy thinks he's terrible? And then I will have expressed an opinion. So I'll try and keep my opinion to myself. I'll just mm-hmm. ask what he thinks about him. So he tells me where in Ireland he's from. I go through all that thought process. And then I say to him, Remember, to him, this is apropos of nothing. I say, oh, what do you think of Jerry mm. Adams? Jerry Adams, leader of Sinn Féin. <laughs> Not Jerry Adams. <laughs> the, <laughs> like I'm some kind of, I don't know, unionist or whatever who is testing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> test his credentials or something. 
I mean, what is wrong with me? Oh. Getting the it was just this perfect That's thing of so the thought process. The amount of leaps ahead was strange anyway, and then blurting out the wrong, the worst possible or the strangest possible name. <laughs> oh God, what's wrong with me? That's bad. Anyway, go, go on. Um, give us yes. give us the other one. Let's move on to Chris. Mm. When I was young, we lived in a small, quiet cul-de-sac. At the end of the road was a tiny patch of grass. It wasn't a park. There were no swings or slides, but it was about the size of a small school football pitch, which was exactly what I used it for. I mainly used to kick a ball against a wall there on my own for hours at a time. One day while I was playing, another boy of my age appeared who lived in the next street. He was called Mark and asked to join in. We played together for a few hours. At dinner time, when I had to go home, we arranged to meet and play again the following week and then again the week after that. And so it continued. We usually played three and in. One person would be in goal and the other would try to score three goals. And when they did, they would go in goal. We would pretend to be different footballers we'd seen on match of the day that week when we were trying to score. Usually I'd be Glenn Hoddle and he was Ian Rush. But one week he insisted on calling me Smirrel. And from then on, that's what he called me. I had no idea where this came from, but I'd never had a nickname before, so never asked him why. The week after, he knocked on my door and asked my mum if Smirrel would come out to play football. She looked confused, but I couldn't explain to her why he'd called me that. And so it went on for about three or four years. He'd knock and ask for Smirrel and we'd play football. Eventually he moved away and I was 15, so my playing out days were over. I was 30 when I next properly spoke to Mark again. I was in a pub with my girlfriend at the time, Claire, and there was Mark at the bar. Smirrel! He almost (laughs) cheered. He looked pleased to see me and he shook me vigorously by the hand. It's great to see you again, mate. How long has it been? You two know each other then? My girlfriend asked. Wait, why did you call him Smirrel? I looked at Mark. I had no idea why that was my nickname. <laughs> and I nodded towards Mark. I had wondered why he'd called me this for years. So I was also keen to hear his answer. Mark looked confused, like we were ganging up on him to play some cruel joke. What? He stuttered. Well, why do you call him Smirrel? Claire repeated. Because his name is Cyril? He looked at me, a confused look on his face. Uh, No, it's Chris, my girlfriend said. I nodded dumbly and we shook hands, having known each other for over 20 years and having just been probably introduced. Mark quickly made an excuse about going to find his friends. I kept thinking afterwards, did I really look like a Cyril? I saw him once after this and we both nodded to each other. But I think the embarrassment was too much for us to actually talk ever again. That's incredible. Not least because we still don't know how he got from Cyril to Smirrel. Yes, true. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. the missing piece of this puzzle. Yes, yeah. I never met a young Cyril. I remember people singing Nice One Cyril a lot when I was a kid. What's Nice One yeah, like, Cyril? Nice from? One Cyril, Nice One Son. I think it's like a football chant. Nice One Cyril, let's have another. I oh, don't know okay. who Cyril is yeah, with my limited knowledge of. Do they call it the beautiful game or is that horse racing? Anyway, uh, if you have a moment, um, I, l- I love that, you know, anything involving not knowing somebody's name over a prolonged period of time. I wonder if there's perhaps anything in finding out the heartbreaking reason behind your nickname many years later. Oh, as long as it's not too heartbreaking. <laughs> it's too bleak. It's too bleak. Um, yeah. Email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. <laughs> 
humble. Yes. <laughs> there is an irony in you answering to that nickname, given the story we've just had. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, your entirely made up nickname. But it's what they used to call you at primary school because you looked like the doll from play school. They didn't. That's entirely of your... Can, can I just check something? Do you actually, after having said that for so many years, do you actually believe that now? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, right. It's something you once made up for a joke and said it so many nope. times you think it's true, nope, just so you real. know. It's real. It's not real. But if I've been saying it for nearly 20 years, is it not then your nickname? <laughs> well, for you, maybe, but for literally no one else. I think it'd be nice if the listeners, when they write in, start calling you humble. Let's, let's get a bit of a revival. We, a a, we, we would occasionally at some point get email that said humble on it. You know what? I think I got. I suddenly had a flash of memory where it came from. I think I once said that I hated Hamble on Play School. I found her creepy, and you, being you, decided that's what you were going to call me from then onwards. It doesn't sound right. That no. Anyway, uh, we're going to have another reason. This is that true? Just, just the, I no, remembered no, it. There is no ring of truth to that at all. It just it, it sounds, sounds like exactly like somebody sort of else. You do. Um, <laughs> have we got another reason why you are not a fully functioning adult yes so one morning a few days ago i was out in the front garden with my son before preschool like when they're up at six like you've got three hours to kill before the day actually starts oh, so worst. by eight we'd exhausted everything possible indoors and we were outside the next door neighbors on the right lovely family got a bit of a weird thing going on with their recycling setup so I think like many councils, we have these blue crates in our front garden for recycled stuff and they get emptied weekly by the council. So what everyone does is fill these bins up the night before with stuff collected in a bin or a bag inside the house during the week. Maybe they just decant it when the bin is full. I don't know. That's the general way people deal with these mm, crates. Mm, mm. Next door, the policy of once no longer needed, no longer in the house. So every recyclable item is taken out one at a time immediately. So Ricky, wow. the dad, is out there doing it anything up to 10 to 15 times a day, going out the house, putting in one item in there. So if, for example, they finished a cereal box, he'd take it outside? So for, as, far as, as far as I'm aware, straight, it goes straight. It doesn't go in a bin, doesn't sit on the counter. It just goes straight outside. Wow. Interesting, right? Mm. And I'd like to say in no way is this a complaint, but you do hear the door open, the crash of the single item being thrown in the recycling and then the door slamming shut again 10 to 15 times a day. I'm honestly not complaining. I have it gotten so used like to it, it that it's just, <laughs> it's just background noise that I barely mm. register. Probably in the same way they've got used to me being in the garden with a noisy toddler at eight in the morning. And I'm used to ignoring him when I'm there and he comes out multiple times because there's only so many times you can say hello over the fence. I'm always polite to them, though, but I am not one for initiating any kind of conversation. Tom's different. He's always talking to them. They probably think that he's lovely and I'm quite cold and they're probably right. That's what everybody in the I queue. At, every, that's what everybody in the queue at my son's school thinks about Sarah. That she's really charismatic. Oh, really? I think they. I think they look forward to seeing her in the queue, and I think they think mm. this guy sucks the life out of the queue. How are they together? Sucks the life out of the queue. 
Yeah. I want to get in this queue, this lifeful <laughs> queue. I did mention their recycling system once to Ricky when I was slightly drunk. They were having a barbecue, which we'd been invited to. And he gave me a glass of wine, which was the last of the bottle. And I said, without thinking first, oh, sorry, you'll have to be straight out the door with that now. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing from him. And I really regret saying that now. Oh, I really regret that. it. Because I, I was that. pointing out their system and he wasn't happy anyway. I'm out in the garden with my son when he sees his very good friend who lives in the flat above Ricky. His friend is at the window. They're the same age. They go to the same preschool. They're great pals. So Rudy's pleased to see him and points him out to me. And I say, looking up at the window in the kind of voice that you only use of the toddler. Hey, good morning. Hello. And as soon as I finish that, I hear a slightly surprised voice saying, oh, morning. And uh, I look over and realise that I hadn't noticed, but Ricky had been going back in after depositing some kind of bottle, tin or scrap of paper. And he'd had his back to me as he was going in the door. But he heard me and thought I was saying, hey, good morning, hello, to him and turned to me and replied. And I don't know uh, if he'd seen me looking up when he turned back and realised his mistake, but I can't then go, oh, sorry, I wasn't talking to you. So I just give him a big smile and then I die inside that I'd spoken to a bald-headed early 60s Scottish former Marine like he was a three-year-old. And the worst of it is I feel now that to cover my tracks, I've got to keep this up, this insane over-friendliness because I can't bear for him to know that I wasn't talking to him, even though actually that was more embarrassing for him. And yet if he had realised, I'm sure he didn't give it a second thought. So I've been on right move, found somewhere else, and I'll just go and live in a cheap bedsit until the sale goes through. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I know I said I'm not going to waffle on. Can I just tell you one little thing? And it is going to be so quick. And I just feel that if I get this out of my mind, I don't think it's going to be particularly funny, but it will be driftery. And then I, I'll feel like I will have pulled my weight on this week's podcast and we can move on to you know what. Ready? Okay. Last night, I had to go for a medical appointment at a hospital out of hours. Everything is fine. Don't worry. It's just a a very standard thing. But to get there, I decided to take a taxi, more specifically an Uber, actually, um, so that I didn't have to go on a, a, a bus or the tube. Because hmm. I think if I can keep myself away from people in an, expo in, a, in an enclosed space, then I do to try and play my part in not spreading it around if it's go if it's going through me at that given time I don't know so so that's my that's why I took a taxi not because I think I'm uh, better than everyone else that's usually why I take a taxi <laughs> 
anyway, so so we're I'm in the Uber and it's he knows the destination, he's checked the destination. The journey starts, I feel, going off in quite a strange direction. But what I remember is that the um pandemic has meant lots of roads are now blocked off to uh, allow people the streets for cycling or, or walking so it's not as easy to get from where we are in the direction of the hospital as it was say a year ago when I was moving around the city with some frequency so I just think well this isn't too odd it becomes incrementally stranger and stranger the journey to the extent that it's it's i mean it's bizarre if you drew it on a map the the route that he took it would make no sense right right unless it was the day of the london marathon and all the streets were clear. i mean it's just like so strange right at what point this is the driftery thing at what point in that scenario as you realize the estimated journey time has gone from what you think it's going to be to dangerously close to your appointment to going past the point where you'll you'll definitely be late at what point do you say something oh i i i think i would say something quite early on like oh which 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 way um i don't know this way it's something like what did you do like i didn't say anything i just sat there oh. in the back getting more and more stressed out because the first bit I'd sort of rationalised because I thought oh, it must be due to cycle lanes. And then as it went on, I thought, oh, this is strange. Mm, he must know something I don't. And then as it got stranger and stranger, I thought, oh, he, he doesn't. It's Whatever's going on here is out of the realm of logic. And I was in too deep to say anything because even if I'd said something at that point, there was no rescuing the situation. Shall I tell you what I would do? Mm. I would get out of my phone. I would open Google Maps or Waze. I'd put in my destination, make sure the speaker was on and then have him listen to like, turn back, turn back, turn left. Oh, that's like- so funny because I would, I think I would do the same thing, but I wouldn't have the speaker on and I'd just sit there looking at what the actual route said compared <laughs> yeah, to what yeah, he yeah. was doing whilst getting more and more stressed. And of course, I gave him five stars and when I got <sighs> out, it was very nice and said, thank you very much. That was great. I'll make sure I give you a tip because I'm an incapable of any kind of confrontation. That's bad. All right. It wasn't great, but it was drifterish. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means with... A slightly clearer conscience, it's time for... Mug Chan, who you drinking out of Mug Chan? That one's for tea and Mug Chan. Which one's your favourite? Mug Chan, that was a gift so I'll have it forever. Mug Chan, Mug Chan, Mug Chan, with Annabelle and Jeff. First order of business... On Mug Chat, there had been talk of Mug Chat mugs. Mm. Can you bring us up to speed on that situation, please? Yes. So I've been talking to Sarah, who has designed the mugs for us. Um, and they are going to be on this website, Redbubble. And basically, she's kind of done it all for... There's not, there's not... Like, once the design's done, there isn't really anything to do. Like, Redbubble do it all for you from then onwards. So... She's going to have it on her storefront on Redbubble, which is where you can buy them. And I think the way it works, there has to be some kind of commission. So we talked about it going to a charity of our choice 
Um, so there'll be like a, a very slight markup and that will all just go to charity if everyone's happy with that. And I've seen the mugs and they look amazing. And yeah, that I so I think I'm guessing that by next week, I'll be able to tell you exactly where you can get them from and you can buy one. Great. And it's it's almost like Sarah has taken the ball and run with this and it's going to be her own thing and we salute her for it. Like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's almost, you know, drifters we, we we've uh we've incubated them in the egg that is the podcast and then some of them are hatching and going off into the world and that's what sarah's doing with this uh but we'll definitely point people in the direction and it's very kind of her as well to say even though she did this great design she is going to uh donate i think some or all of the money i think to she's charity. happy to do all of it yeah that's that's really i did good. say keep it for yourself and she said no no let's just do it all for charity that's so great and it's my understanding, having seen the design, which is wonderful, they're mug chat mugs rather than a drift mugs. Yes, exactly. They're not merch as such. They're for no. people who are fans of mugs and this whole element, which, let's face it, if if this particular episode of this particular podcast has shown anything, this is the good bit. <laughs> I don't mean that about your bits or about the letters from Drifters. We all know that I'm talking about myself, <laughs> Ru- ruining the whole thing. Stop it. We all love Mug Chat. Yes, no, I think Mug Chat's great. It's, that's, that's not my problem. I wish the podcast was just Mug Chat and your bits and the Drifters bits. <laughs> I think I'm really letting the side down. But anyway, go, go on. Right, so are you ready for a first contribution to Mug Chat yes, then, are you? Yes, okay, yeah, so it's from I, yeah. Commander-in-Chief Paul. In my previous job, I was a meter reader for a utility company. We had meetings every month or so, but apart from that, we didn't have to attend the office. There were four to five people who worked at the office permanently, but almost everyone else was a mobile worker. Because of this, there were very few mugs at the depot. It was common at a meeting to make a mug of tea or coffee to take into the conference room with you. During a meeting one morning, Dave, let's call him that as I can't remember his name, entered the room and interrupted the meeting mid-flow. This was a meeting he wasn't part of and he didn't even work for the same part of the company. He apologised to the host and said, has someone got my West Ham mug? One of my colleagues said, oh, yes, I have. Sorry, Dave, I didn't know it was yours. At this point, Dave decided the best course of action was to ask my colleague to let him have his mug back immediately. He wouldn't let him finish his drink and took it off him and left the room. (laughs) I wouldn't want someone using my personal mug in a workplace. But also, if the mug is left in a communal cupboard, I think it's fair to expect mistakes could happen. I'm pretty sure I would not decide to interrupt a meeting and take my mug back from someone else mid-drink. I'm telling you now that mug is a physical manifestation of some other issues. (laughs) But don't you sort of love Dave? (laughs) Yeah. He's the, guy, he's the guy that none of us can ever be as drifters, but yeah, yeah. he's the guy we all want to be. I want to be more Dave. <laughs> and this is from Alison. I once had a favourite mug, perfect size, style, etc. She was my pink boho mug and was kind and gentle. I once saw her on the drama Happy Valley, where I think Sarah Lancashire's sister was drinking from her. A proud moment indeed. That's a whole other topic, isn't it? Like when you've seen your yes. mug on television. <laughs> Yes, that'd be amazing, seeing your mug on television or its close relative. Yeah. About five years ago, my mother-in-law was staying with us and I came in from work to discover that she had broken the mug. She was very apologetic as she said she knew how much I liked it. Begs the question, why was she using it? (laughs) 
She had very kindly gone out and replaced pink boho with another mug, which was a different size, colour, shape and style. To this day, I have never used the replacement mug. It sits in the cupboard and I suspect it's sometimes a bit nasty to all the other mugs. <laughs> it continues to serve as a pitiful reminder of my lost pink boho. Pink boho is survived by a twin, blue boho mug. He is my partner's favourite. I don't feel sorry for blue boho mug, even though he lost his twin, because he has a cocky air to him. <laughs> I love Alison's relationship with her marks. Mm, mm. <laughs> so I much. do too. I do, something that we always love, I think Annabelle and I on this podcast or elsewhere, is in fact, I seem to remember it being a running thing on the podcast that I couldn't say this word. Anthropomorph. Yeah, there we go. Anthropomorphizing things. Anthropomorphizing. Anthropomorphizing things. Yeah, why can I? That, that just won't stay in my head. Um, yeah, ascribing personalities to objects. Uh, but I'd really love to hear more of that in a mug mm. context. Yeah. Um, so please, a couple of new themes there. Mm. I think that we can throw in. Have you ever seen your mug? Uh, so a close relative of your mug on television, in a magazine, in a catalogue, um, <laughs> in a film, music video. Also, has your actual mug got a claim to fame? Mm, yeah, quite good. Oh, I'd love to know that. Has it been in a local paper, for example? Yes. Uh, or on your company's website. So there's that <laughs> mug rage and the dark side of mug chat. When mm. when what do we call it last week? So mug mug chat horror show. Um, Can we just stick with the dark side of mugs? <laughs> oh. And then say that word for me again. Anthropomorphizing. Mugs too. Let's have mm. some some more stuff on that. Okay. Uh, the email address is hello at adriftpodcast.com. Mug chat with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Quandary Corner at the Glap Clinic here in Problematic, Annabelle. Okay, the first one is from Madame Laureline, who I believe oh. lives in Illinois. She does, uh, very close to Lynn Barron. Yes. And Joe Barron. Shortly before Christmas, my mother died unexpectedly. What with oh, travel so restrictions, yeah, me too. What with travel restrictions, quarantines, and the COVID issues we were dealing with at the hospital for which I work, I wasn't able to go to the funeral and was forced to carry on my day-to-day life. One of those was going to the hairdresser a couple of days after she died. As usual, the hairdresser asks after everyone, including my parents at home. Now, this being just days later, and didn't really want to deal with admitting it to myself or the reaction of the hairdresser in a 25% maximum occupancy salon, I said she was doing fine. Upon my last return and the usual question came up, I didn't want to say she's now been dead for quite a while, as the hairdresser might then think, well, she was fine last time, but she was dead. So I said, fine. Now I'm coming to my next appointment. Do I continue with the fine or say she's been dead, but say it only happened a few weeks ago rather than several months and two hairdressing appointments? I mean, we all know what you need to do. Go on. No matter how many years it took for you to find the perfect hairdresser, 
Got to change. Oh no! Of course you do. What are you gonna? What are you gonna say? Are you going to say? I need to be honest with you about something. My mum died a while ago. The last time you asked me, the grief was quite raw, so um, I didn't yeah, feel no, able no. to talk about no, it. No, 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 um, no. And if it's all right with you, it's it's still I'm still kind of coming to terms with it. So. I just wanted to let you know, I really appreciate you asking, but um, that's that's the truth of it. And I felt slightly, you're not going to say that, are you? I mean, that's what a functional person would be able, a clear communicator with emotional intelligence would be able to say. Mm-hmm. The rest of us would just change hairdresser, surely. Couldn't, so I'm guessing it looks like she's going every six weeks or so. Could she not say at the next appointment when asked, oh, I just, yes, she sadly passed away. Funnily enough, just after our, funnily enough, it's not funnily enough. Oh, God. Just uh, six weeks ago. Right. So because then that's, oh, it's just timeline. awful. It's, yeah, yeah. Maybe I mean, we should just say, sit down on the chair and say, don't ask me about my family. Don't talk about my family. <laughs> Ever yeah. again. Yeah, or you could go the uh, Norma Bates approach, I guess. Just keep them alive. And Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a healthy way to process your grief. No. Maybe it is, though. I don't often know. When I, often when the only way I can handle grief is by just thinking it's like when you haven't spoken to one on the phone for a while and they're just getting on with their thing somewhere else. And But I don't think, I don't think that's healthy. I think that's actually an unhealthy way to process your grief and says more about me can i just say something about i'm going to embarrass you slightly but i say it in the hope of just explaining something so i say this with peace and love as they say Mm. when you started reading that email Mm. and and laurel i mentioned that her mum had uh, died i said i'm sorry to hear that and you said me too and i felt that there was almost it could be perceived Mm. that there was a glibness to the way you said me too which i don't think is the case at all because obviously i know you inside out and actually anyone listening to podcasts knows you inside out and you're not like this but it's because there's an awkwardness but there's also a weird delay with zoom whereby annabelle hears that in her ear Mm. a few seconds after she's said it and it threw you a little bit and you just tried to carry on with the email and i i I don't think i think it might have sounded slightly um Mm differently to how you would have intended it and because I, I you know i know you and i know also know what's going on here so mm. i just wanted to mention that now mm, thank you it's all right it was a bit I mean, awkward, I wasn't it yeah i mean you'll notice that i haven't offered to um put myself through the extra work of editing it out because <laughs> it's already 10 o'clock we were, we were hoping to be done by 9 30 tonight because so I, I don't want to be fiddling around figuring out how to cover that up but mm. I, I just wanted to uh I wanted to explain that because you are by far the most sensitive to sensitive to other people's feelings type of person that I know and I wouldn't want you to be perceived otherwise by somebody dealing with pain no of course not what a hero I am for uh I think if there's one hero in all this it's me <laughs> So really, by not not doing it again, you've just you come out as actually the real hero of the of the yeah, situation. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. back to back to Laureline. Did we not? Did we not? Did we not deal with this? So you're just saying change hairdressers. Mm-hmm. Fine. Let's move on to Hannah. Okay. I'm writing to Quandry Corner about a very specific 
situation. God, we've, we've both got our words on this episode, haven't I we? Know. I almost feel like people are using that word on purpose to embarrass mm. me. I found myself in about two years ago, but which broadly relates to the topic of sharing food. This is one of the strangest social interactions I have encountered in my life so far. And in the event of a similar situation arising again, it would be good to know how to act. So this happened when I was at university in Southampton. It was snowing and a friend and I had just arrived on campus for a lecture, only to find that the campus had closed due to the snow and therefore our lecture was cancelled. However, the cafes around campus were still open, so we decided to have a drink and a catch up before heading home again. We went into a cafe and ordered. I was hungry. I hadn't had breakfast and it was probably now around 1pm. So as well as a hot chocolate, I chose a chocolate muffin, a rare treat as these cafes are a little expensive on a student budget. But it seemed the perfect drink snack combination on a cold snowy day. After about 10 minutes, another student entered the cafe, recognised my friend and to my horror, walked straight over to our table and sat down with us. Me, he and my friend began chatting whilst I sat there awkwardly as I'd never met this person before. After a couple of minutes, he made some comment along the lines of, that cake looks nice, to which I replied, yes, it is. After a few more minutes and a few more glances, it was obvious that he wanted some cake, but I didn't know the guy. I'd spent my money buying it. I was hungry. And basically, I didn't want to offer to share. I feel I should say here that if he had directly asked me for some, I would have begrudgingly cut off a chunk for him, but he didn't. Suddenly, he turned to me and in one swift motion, plucked the spoon from my hot chocolate, scooped up about a quarter of the cake, plunged it into his mouth and then dropped the spoon back in my drink. He then turned back to my friend and continued talking as if nothing had happened. I could do nothing but sit and stare in disbelief until their conversation ended and he left the coffee shop. After his departure, my friend continued chatting to me without referencing the incident, to the point where I began to wonder if the whole strange exchange had taken place at all. But no, the evidence was right there in front of me, the huge chunk out of my cake and the spoon covered in a layer of this stranger saliva still sat in my drink. I didn't really fancy either after that. So my question is, what on earth would have been the appropriate response to this? Should I have offered to share my food in the first place? Challenged him for swiping food from under my nose? Or should I just hope that the COVID might be the end of sharing food? Any advice on this on any potentially similar issues around feeling obliged to share food would be very much appreciated. Wow. I know, extraordinary. Can you, can you describe, I mean, I don't know if you could see my face as you're reading that, but I was, op- was open-mouthed. It's quite extraordinary behaviour. So I think there are only two reasonable excuses for behaving like that. One is you're suffering from some kind of psychosis. (laughs) The other is the whole thing is an elaborate prank for a hidden camera TV show (laughs) and you're about to win a big prize, like a holiday to the Seychelles or something. It's or, just or we terrible. hadn't eaten for a year. I don't think that's 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 not that's not the way you'd approach it. I don't think. No, no, true, wow. true, wow. True. Yeah. I think you'd acknowledge that you'd not eaten f- for a year and rely on the kindness of strangers, perhaps mm. in that. Rather, than... I mean, I would be, I would have been tempted to go to the police. <laughs> it's, it's theft. It's theft. I, mean, <laughs> I say go to the police. I mean, call the emergency services. Actually, sit there, dial nine nine nine. Yeah, 
Explain what's happened. I need to report a terrible crime. It's a mugging. It's a mugging. <laughs> At the very least, I would want the, the police counselling. <laughs> it is very shocking. What? But it's a sort of shocking where you you can't speak. You can't say anything because it's beyond what you'd ever expect. So it's beyond words to respond mm. to it. Like if you look back in, if you go back a few steps in the story at the point where he said that cake looks nice, you could have said, oh yeah, it's only two ninety nine. <laughs> the implication is passive aggressive way of saying, oh, go and buy yourself one then. Mm-hmm. Um, you, so the, the bigger question here is if someone drops a hint so heavy, hmm. the glances, the saying that looks nice, are you obliged to offer do you have to offer well the, well I, th- I think the the key factor is intimacy of relationship and in this situation there's none it's a stranger really yeah so i think where there is some level of intimacy in the relationship there is an obligation to offer some food which you know you can choose to ignore or uh, act upon depending on how you feel about that intimacy, but a stranger, and what is wrong with this person? It, it upsets me that this person is is out at large, <laughs> large. In, amongst the public. I mean, hopefully, uh, as as alluded to, COVID means they're not at large, and maybe, like many of us, there will have been a period of self reflection and, and change mm. during uh, this this awful time. But it was the spoon, wasn't it? The taking of the spoon from the drink and then putting it back in the drink. I think that that's that's. That's terrible, but I think just as terrible is the hostile act of seizing cake mm. from somebody you don't know. I sort of feel like we should rule that if someone drops heavy hints to have a cake, then you, they shouldn't be offered it because that that would mean that the next time this person drops heavy hints, they will get it offered to them and they don't deserve it. Right, 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 right. The world Just needs a, to teach as, them as a, a message and maybe you are the conduit through which the world needs to do that. I see, mm. yeah. Do you know anybody? Like, Is there anybody you can think of that you know in real life who would do something like that? I can't apart, think of Apart from Tom. <laughs> he would spit on it. <laughs> <laughs> It's mine now. It's an extraordinary person Mm. that would help themselves. Like, it's extraordinarily rude. Not to ask. It's unbelievable. Like, it would be a very strange behaviour from a friend and from a stranger. (sighs) I think we don't need to have any rule on this particular... I don't don't think it's ever happened before and I don't think it'll ever happen again because it's too weird. unique incident in human history. And in general, I think if someone, I don't think in any way you should be obliged to share your food unless someone asks and then you have to say yes. Mm. Happy with that? Yeah, I think the social rule is if you're with somebody, uh, you you have a degree of intimacy and they say, oh, how's how's your food? Mm. Usually as a small talk offering, you, you have to say, oh, it's pretty good. Would you like to try some? But I also think there's, the social contract then is for the person to say, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Mm. Um, or, oh, no, no, you're all right. And then it's up to you to be the pushy one. Say, no, no, try it. It's really good. Yeah. But but there's no obligation to do that. 
Because totally also, there's that other thing, the, the flip side of this is when somebody wants you to try their food and you don't want to try it. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Mm. I think I can be a little bit guilty of that in the context of my marriage. But right. I hope that I don't do that elsewhere. Maybe I do a little bit if something's so good, if I think it's unbelievable. If It's what's strange to me. We might have talked about this before. If I'm sitting there saying... This is um this is unbelievable. I've never tasted like this anything like this in my life. It's quite incredible. And then you say, "Do you want do you want to do you want to buy? Do you want to try some?" And the other person goes, "No, you're fine." <laughs> like, what does that say about their value judgment on your opinion? I've definitely had that exact conversation before, where you've said it's amazing. I don't really like trying other people's food. I don't even know why. I get I get it. I get it. But also, isn't just the process of eating with somebody. In, on on some level, a shared human experience. Not the food, no. <laughs> you don't have to. But that's share the why food. people are going for tapas and stuff. Like people mm. like it. In most other cultures, that's the way. Um, that's that's the way people eat. Mm. It's not mine, even though I quite like mine. Yeah. But I also I do find it really insulting if if I am being that hyperbolic, and you don't want to try a bit. <laughs> difficult not to take it personally yeah. anyway covered lots of angles i'm also aware of the sound of my own voice so if you have a quandary for quandary corner email us hello at adriftpodcast.com And that was our podcast. If you would like less of me and more of you on future episodes, I will uh, do my bit. I need you to do yours, though. Please send us stories of social ineptitude, fodder for mug chat, and quandaries for Quandary Corner. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music. Uh, thanks to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. Kim Rainey for the artwork. Hello, Kim. And... Carla Gowlett for the photos and just in case you were in any doubt I don't think anybody is this podcast is dedicated to the memory of Roy Kinnear Podication. This comes from Sarah Knight, who says, I would like to make a podication to my husband, David Dave. Sorry, there's a uh, the screen's a bit far away and there's a full stop between David and Dave. I would like to make this podication to my husband, David. <laughs> David Dave would be a great name, wouldn't it? Much better than name. Dave David. <laughs> so, full stop. Dave and I met in London and used to listen to you both on The Late Show. And before that, Pete and Jeff in the morning, then lost touch with the show when we moved to my home of New Zealand. I was delighted when Dave came across the podcast and then spent my weeks listening to the back catalogue to catch up. A few years ago, he made me a podication, which I was absolutely chuffed with, and even bought me Annabelle's book for my birthday, which I was also chuffed with. Look at that, Annabelle. It's there, your book. A physical copy of your book is on the other side of the world. Amazing to me. Isn't it? When you, I know you probably don't think about that very often, but just think about these things in people's houses. It's lovely. You made a thing. It is lovely. It is. Um, 
We're not true drifters, either of us, part drifter at most, but we so appreciate other people's stories that we are hooked for life. How long ago did this come in, Annabelle? <laughs> it was It was actually, I'll very briefly tell you this, that it's a, it's a bit weird because we did this podication, we did a similar podication to Day, Do David Dave at the end of December and, and that, that in itself was a year late. And then she said, oh, I never heard my publication. I went, oh, we did it then. But then I listened back and it was just dead air, like for that particular point. It was very bizarre. It's like a technical glitch. Oh, so, so she's my, waited a long time for this. Oh, God, I feel awful. No. Did I, I was going to say, did I call him David Dave then? But we'll never know. <laughs> no, no, I do, we don't did. know. Yeah. I want to dedicate an episode to Dave as he is an absolute legend of a man. He spends his days fixing people as an osteopath. I'm a little bit scared of osteopaths. What? The, it's, I don't know if it's painful or if just the loud sounds make me jumpy. Sarah loves them. Yeah, I love them. He works so hard to keep everyone happy and healthy and doesn't complain at all when one of us needs a treatment. Oh, I think that's interesting. So you're allowed to do it on your family because doctors aren't allowed to um, prescribe for or operate on their own family, are they? Mm-hmm. But osteopaths, that right side of the line, that's great to have old uh, David Dave in your house, cracking, <laughs> uh, not cracking skulls, but making cracking sounds. I don't even know, quite understand what it is they do, but I have had it maybe once and it felt good. I'm such a wimp. He's a super dad to our two kids and the best husband I could ask for. I just want him to know how much we all appreciate him and love him. Thanks so much, Jeff and Annabelle. Uh, Keep up the work. All best regards, Sarah Knight. Well, well, well. Thank you. I mean, we're we're talking at least, like at the very least, 16 years there, 16, 17 years. So first of all, that's, that's lovely to know that you've been around that long, on and off. Um, and that you found us on the other side of the world. Sorry about whatever happened at Christmas. Sorry about what's happened to the podcast recently. Sorry that your podication is on this episode where I basically spent half an hour exploring a bunch of dead ends to do with Roy <laughs> Kinnear and Willy Wonka. It's not good. It's it's genuinely not good, Annabelle. I'm worried. You're worried? What are you worried about? Here's what I'm worried about. This this podcast has a loyal audience, it, and it tends to stay pretty steady from one episode to another. I think I am really, with this long, rambling, not funny, tangential, I want to, it's not even storytelling that I'm getting up to these days. I'm worried that I'm pushing a lot of that stable audience to the limits of what they will endure. And I'm goaded on by the fact that some people from the Facebook group text message or uh, send tweets or emails or, or whatever say, no, actually, we, we all like it. And what about, say, for example, someone was trying it for the first time? Oh, somebody trying it for the first time, they would never listen to it again. They wouldn't have got past the first, first three minutes. <laughs> they would have thought... This guy loves the sound of his own voice. It's supposed to be two people, a man and a woman, I can see in this photo here. She, he won't let her get a word in edgeways. Nothing he says is interesting. It's a worry. It's a worry. I don't know. I don't quite know how to go. Do you think I'm having a breakdown? No. You don't where look do you think like it's coming? Where, where is it coming from? 
Um, where's what coming from? This is getting uncomfortable. <laughs> you know this 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 long winded meandering pointless stories and things that have occurred to me. What has happened to my quality control? I think um, I think it may be that the the first part was slightly more rambly this week, but I think you're right in saying that you 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 have been egged on by by some people. Mm, I'm worried about it. But then again, those people, I mean, I must have had 10 or 12 separate messages saying <laughs> carry on with the long podcasts. Oh, was that so 100% of the audience? As long as we keep those 10 or 12 people, this is this is the worry because these are the 10 people we hear from. And, and in a way, they're our platinum, platinum club of listeners. So just like British Airways has to keep its platinum club happy. If it's got mm. one, I don't even know how these things go. We we should be thinking the same way, but I'm really worried that I'm just going to end up killing this podcast off if I carry on like this. Do you know what? I think I'll make it better mm. when we're in the same room together again. Mm. But don't yeah. worry, in the meantime, you've got another podcast now with your wife. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe I should say to the people who really love me rambling on, go and listen to that one and I'll try and keep this one a bit tighter. <laughs> or maybe you could just ring them up at bedtime. Yeah, it's not good. It's Did not, like a, group, it... a conference call at bedtime. <laughs> uh, you're so nice. I can, I can even see the concern in your face. No, about what I'm, I can, I can see. You're thinking, I prepare all this stuff. I go through the email. I do my... Um, you know, thing about not not being a fully functioning adult. I prepare it every week. You come on with like six things scribbled down on the back of a piece of paper if you're lucky, and then you manage to spin that out into these long, drawn out trains of thought that go nowhere, runaway trains of thought. Because it's not like I'm this great improviser. It's not like hearing Eddie Izzard when she starts on these flights of fancy. I'm just somebody making boring connections between things I think and other things that I think. It's not good. Anyway, I feel like I've really ruined Dave, Dave, David, yeah, Dave's uh, podication. Poor here. David, Dave. Come on now. Let's get yeah. back to him and his osteopathy. Well, he is a ledge. Osteopath. I mean, he's just a ledge. Yeah. Osteopathy, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah. Sarah Knight, David, Dave. Two kids. We don't know their names. I think they were mentioned in the original podcast, actually, if memory serves me right. Oh, right. Well, they, they were shall lucky I, enough to... Shall I look them up quickly? Or not? Yeah, let's make this podcast even longer. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to fill the dead air. No, don't. Well, I'm, I'm terrified. Right, here we go. See, it was supposed to go out on the 18th of December. It never mm. did. So children were a Ben and Sophie. Hmm. Ben and Sophie. Hmm. I hope their middle name is either David or Dave. <laughs> it's the female form of Dave Davinia or Davina. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, okay. Do you see? Do you see me then? Just I, th- I stopped. I thought, don't see where talking about female versions of names takes you. Just get on with it <laughs> and say. Just on that though, is there a male form of Sarah? It's one of the most common names. I don't think so. Mm. Good. Not going to have anything, not going to take that anywhere. 
It's the latest edition of the podcast, podicated to David Dave from uh, from his wife Sarah Knight and the two kids, Sophie and Ben. Ben, why did I forget that? Now I feel bad about what I've done by forgetting Ben's name in the thirty seconds since you last said it, and I think I really need to overcompensate by just talking about Ben a little bit. <laughs> Always enjoy uh, a Ben's cookie. Also, Ben Volpierre from Curiosity Killed the Cat. Oh, yeah. Great Ben from Pop History. I'm not sure that um, Ben, who is like nearly 10, who mm. lives in New Zealand, is going to appreciate these references. Ben 10. But... Ben 10. Mm. I think there's a cartoon called Ben 10 that the kids are into. You'll appreciate that. Right, we're out. Uh, that was the latest edition of the podcast, podicated to David Dave, if you would like a podication or if you would like to give me a stern talking to, because I really <laughs> think I deserve it. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. You don't have to say sorry. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.